Good morning and welcome to the next episode of 49 Plus, where I inch closer to my 50th birthday. Um, And fortunately, so we're back into what I would call normal service for a bit, in that this is now on a drive to work um, from the new house, which means the drive is ever so slightly different for the first couple of minutes. Um, and I'm wondering if it's actually the first first drive I've done to work from the new house. But that would mean I wouldn't have gone in last week at all. And is that the case? So Monday was off, just yesterday. That was in North Leach. Staying overnight the night before at the Wheat Chief Inn. Thank you very much, Keith. Um, and Rachel. And last week, I just again, there's a real blur on stuff. I'll have to go listen back to podcasts to find out, oh, what was I doing different days? Um, there must have been, it must have been at least one day in, surely. Surely. Uh, anyway, so normal service has been resumed. That makes me think of the phrase, normal service has been resumed shortly. I think that's the phrase he uses. That's out of a particular sitcom. If I've got the wrong wording, I'm apologising. Uh, what sitcom is that? I have a classic sitcom. Normal service has been resumed shortly. I'm sure he says that. Um, the main character. So that's one little one for you. Um, and fortunately, so the drive with this would normally be in the last couple of. Uh, oh yeah, there has been attempts because I've been, I'm getting stuck by that um, diversion because of the HS2. Well, again today, fortunately, as I was about to drive down the same route, route, route or road again, and then realised, oh, it's actually a diversion. I forgot about it. Moments before that. The turning I would normally go down, I realised. So I'm following a diversion without having to do the U-turn. Um, so that's what we're doing. Um, so it's been a fantastic weekend, particularly over in North Leach. That was lovely. Rachel and I had some important quality time together, including some some very heartfelt conversation about a range of topics. Uh, so that was good. Um, going behind a little van that flashes lights at me saying connect.com so we we connected didn't we Rach I think I think it's fair to say um, and now that it's back into work so I'm going to be in work today some of tomorrow and then Thursday and Friday probably at home uh, but the nice thing is we're slowly getting the house more sorted um, and so and I see, you know, Rachel's doing a lot of the unpacking I would say as in books, getting books out. We've now managed to retrieve a table. So again, yesterday was a bit, actually this is what I can talk about then, yeah, yesterday was a busy day. So we drove back from North Leach, um, which I discovered reading in the, uh, the book about the hotel, dates from about the 12th century, an original gathering there. Um, and the, the actual church there, I believe, is about 14th century. And I don't know how much of it would have been as it is now in the 14th century, but it's a pretty grand church. In fact, I believe they call it the Cathedral of the Cotswolds, because it is cathedral-like, even though it's in a very small village. Um, So we drove back from there yesterday. Um, Some interesting conversations there took place. So conversation with somebody um, who I'll call Reese, for that's his name. Um... And that linked about a range of things regarding positive psychology. But one thing we did end up talking about, which hadn't been planned, 
um, is a positive psychology festival that he and others, in fact I think um, as another one of our students is very keen to, to progress with, they've been having this idea for a couple of years now really and it's for something for next year, for 2020. So we shall see if that's something that takes place in this year. If it's before June of, of 2020, then um, it may be something that's spoken about on this podcast. And it may, of course, be that this podcast continues past my birthday. Who knows? We get to find out. So that was an interesting conversation there. I had that conversation while still at the um, hotel. So we actually went back into the hotel to sit down there and look at a few things. Um, and that's where the conversation took place. So that was interesting. Um, the interesting thing about the actual place itself, so I, I think I mentioned it, but if not, it's called the Wheat Sheaf, the Wheat Sheaf Inn. Uh, and the interesting thing about it, as part of this podcast is concerned, because I've mentioned luck before. There is an early episode, I think, one called Luck and Other Animals, and an episode called Go Luck Yourself, which is probably a key one, which outlines where I'm at in terms of some ideas regarding luck. Um, and... This particular hotel, the Wheat Sheaf Inn, is part of something, part of what's called the Lucky Onion Group. So the company is called the Lucky Onion, and they are a collection of hotels, or include a collection of hotels and restaurants in and around the Cotswold area, of which the Wheat Sheaf is one. Um, I believe owned by Julian Dunkerton, I think the name that was being mentioned to me. So Julian Dunkerton for you high street fashion aficionados, uh, you, rec- you might recognise that name as being, oh, isn't he the guy that's uh, set up super dry, super dry clothing? And if you thought that, you'd be right. So he set up super dry. I believe I've been told he's now since sold that. Um, but one thing he's now very much involved with is the Lucky Onion Group. It might be him and his wife, I think, maybe, who um, run it or own it. Uh, so it's interesting because the Lucky Onion group, um, been curious to know why it's called the Lucky Onion, so we found that out yesterday, and that apparently, so the story goes, there was a chef, so at the Wheat Sheaf, I think before it was owned by the Lucky Onion group, or whatever that group was called, or either, I think because, um, yeah, because no, it wasn't, what the Wheat Sheaf wasn't its first, wasn't the first in that group, um, a, a pub called The Tavern, which is in Cheltenham, I believe was the first um, property, business, whatever, restaurant, hotel, pub, to form part of it. Um, so let's assume the story takes place there. They're in um, the, the, um, the what's it called? The kitchen, the kitchen there, and there is um, an onion on the side, which apparently the then chef said was his lucky onion. That's his lucky onion, stays there, and whilst it's there, um, you know, good luck will come, as these good luck charms tend to work. And, um, which I have to do, again, I'm sorry about the distraction. I'm sorry about the um, Ronnie, Ronnie Corbett-esque distractions. When he tells his little story on the chair back in the two Ronnies, back in the day. Uh, so the Lucky Onion makes me think of, I think it's Neil, Niels Bohr, is that his name? B-O-H-R, who was a physicist. And story goes with him is that in his lab, or somewhere in his offices, probably in his lab space, he had a, a horseshoe, a lucky horseshoe on the wall. And there's a story that then another physicist comes in, probably another very well-known physicist, and says to him, Niels, I can't believe, you know, do you really believe in this stuff? I said, believe in this lucky horseshoe? 
To which Niels Bohr responds, apparently, well, I'm told it works whether you believe it or not. So that's kind of interesting, isn't it? You know, does that still signal he's believing in it anyway? Um, that's kind of interesting because he's a physicist and a rationalist and therefore believing in luck is something that's irrational or non-rational, if that's the same kind of thing. So the Lucky Onion, in whichever pub or restaurant it was, um, was, um, it was there on display in the kitchen. But they came in and they said, oh, I don't want that there. So they threw it into the bin, threw it away. But then on that particular occasion, they had the worst service that they'd ever had. So that particular service of, let's say, dinner, uh, anything that could go wrong did go wrong. So they don't assume that as being bad luck. Oh, maybe it's because we got rid of the lucky onion. So they retrieved the lucky onion and the name was born. Now, I don't think they still have the onion, which makes you wonder how it eventually was got rid of. Did they just decide to go with the name and go, well, let's... The onion's now gone off a little bit. But I thought it'd be quite a nice art, you know, artefact. So you could pickle it, surely, in formaldehyde or something like that. And it could be in a jar on display to say, well, yeah, and this is the lucky onion. But they didn't do that. They didn't do that. So, but that's why it's called the Lucky Onion, um, or the Lucky Onion Group. You read some of their literature, there's a lot of reference to luck in there, not surprisingly. So I wondered if it's a place that I could bring, go luck yourself to. I didn't manage to have the conversation where I thought I could sort of uh, broach that. So we chatted with the assistant manager, um, didn't get a long enough conversation with the general manager there. Um, but it'll be a conversation now with somebody at the Lucky Onion. So I'm hoping by me just talking about it on this podcast puts it out there that I'm setting the intention that I will at least try and have a conversation with somebody at the Lucky Onion, probably a marketing person, that talks about, oh, well, you, you, you do these kinds of events. In fact, they had a great little room there called the poker table, or rather the table was called that. It's just a round table and a lovely little room. We could do private dining. Uh, I thought it'd be great for not only getting a poker, but doing magic in there, or you could have small groups doing a luck supper, that kind of thing, which we have done before. Hoping to do one again um, in or near London, and that's down to um, somebody called Magella, who we'll call Magella, because that's a name, for that's a name, who maybe somebody will talk more about in due course. So anyway, so that's the luck supper type ideas, luck, the lucky onion. Seems to me it works quite nicely. I also read in their book that um, the Lucky Onion Group are the hospitality sponsors for the Cheltenham Festivals. So they listed all different Cheltenham Festivals, such as Science Festival. In fact, I believe in September of this year, there's going to be a Cheltenham Wellbeing Festival. So that could be a nice one to link in with. Jazz Festival, other ones as well. What it didn't have on there, again, I think I'm right in thinking, correct me if I'm wrong, and of course there is a Cheltenham Festival, which is the horse racing one. So that's the main one, um, but there's no reference to that one, so I'm not sure if that is different. Anyway, so I'm intending to have a conversation with somebody there, maybe today, probably not, maybe later in the week. But if I seem to forget about it, somebody out there prompt me and say, did you ever speak to somebody at Lucky Union? So I can report back as part of my self-development. Um, I'll decide. I'm going to go straight on in the hope that traffic up here isn't as bad as it often would be. Um, so that was in the morning. We then left there and we drove home. Um, that was via Burford. So we decided to stop off in Burford to have a little look round. 
and that's a nice little Cotswold town, mainly on one hill that goes down. It's the high street that goes down the hill. Um, but it was, again, one of those days where it felt like a lot of little magical shops. Um, and to me, the most interesting bit for me was in a particular antique centre, I guess, little knickknacks and antiques. And towards the back of this room, um, there were just all, you know, antique things, but things like um, maps, stamps, and football programmes. So there were some nice old football programmes there that caught my attention. Dating from the 1960s and 1970s. So that was one thing that kind of was interesting. Then, um, looking at the stamps. So the maps kind of just caught my attention. There was one of Middlesex there. Well, Middlesex is the county we're in right now. That's where Northwood is. Uh, there's obviously one of Oxfordshire. Um, I say obviously because I mean it, the guy there said, yeah, there's actually one there for every county, so you're going to see it. But Middlesex is one on prominent display. It was then looking through the stamps because I thought, well, actually, I could look at the stamp because. And again, it's one of these feelings where, that for a very short period of time, when I was a child, I did collect stamps. Um, and for some reason, Canadian stamps were the ones I remember collecting a particular set of. And I rarely, if ever, have a set of mint stamps, because it's one with, with no franc on them. Um, but I had a nice set there. I remember, frame, I remember putting them in the little, um, not the frames, what are they called? The little mounts. You put these things, you stick them in your thing. Lovely, you, know, so you can do, do a really neat thing. It's lovely, and I'm hope someone that still exists. It probably doesn't. I'm sure somewhere over the mists of times, it's got rid of. Whether it's the mum and dad's house, I don't know. Probably unlikely. Um, but little sets of stamps there. But I was only really into stamps very briefly because a friend of mine was, who we'll call Jonathan, for that's his name, uh, and he is. I would, want to say, it's probably truthful to say, my oldest friend, not in the sense he's the friend who is the most aged, he's my oldest friend because he's a friend that I'd have known from primary school, um, was more friends with him at secondary school and since, and he's one person I've still kept in touch with since then. So he'd be my link to other people we might have uh, remember from, from childhood. Anyway, he was into stamps massively, I believe still is because having seen him within the last year, probably actually earlier this year, whilst we were chatting and having a meal, it seemed to be he was on either on eBay or, or a stamp, in a philatelist version of eBay. It may well have actually been eBay. Um, and he's bidding on some stamps. So I was looking through some stamps in the hope, oh, maybe, you know, it's his, actually, yeah, his 50th birthday next, no, in September. So coming around very soon. So, oh, maybe I can find some, some stamps. Um, I was tempted. The guy said, oh, I can show you um, a penny black if you like. So I thought, well, that's interesting. I thought they were very, very rare, and they are. So that's a, the penny black was the first stamp that was produced. Can't believe it. I don't know how many of them there would have been. So he did actually have two of these. One was £350, and the other one was £850. So, sorry Jonathan, didn't, didn't, didn't buy those. He had a Tuppany Blue for £90. Even that didn't get purchased. Um, and uh, and he, has, he, has, he, of course, had lots of Penny Reds. I remember you used to have lots of Penny Reds. And I think you probably have a Tuppany Blue or two. So, and I'm just thinking of Stanley Gibbons. Stanley Gibbons, the books where you'd look up, you'd look up their stamps. See, yeah, see what their values were. And, of course, with their history. 
And with tweezers, you'd hold the stamps with tweezers because they're so delicate. Uh, anyway, where this story is going is, so I'm looking for stamps, and I'm trying to find some with Jonathan, but a bit more kind of, yeah, a bit of meaning for him, maybe something from 1969, which would have been his that year of birth. Couldn't find them, particularly if you could find um, some Hungarian stamps. Because if I remember correctly, Jonathan, John, Johnny, you used to call you Johnny? John, I think I'd call you now. Um, or Jonathan, or Johnny, don't know. I'm getting distracted by that now. You'll tell me. How would you like to be known? Jonathan, John or Johnny, or some other name. Or Nesthead, uh, in joke. So, um, sorry, distraction, distraction, distraction. Um, stamps, Stanley Gibbons. So we were looking at the stamps, and as I said, oh, it'd be nice to find some with a little bit of meaning. I didn't spot any for 1969, but what I did pick up was a set of stamps um, that were issued, and it had the issue date on there, a specific date, and it was the 17th of June, 1970, which is my birthday. So instead of uh, British stamps, it was a 50p, a £1, I think a 20 and a 10p. So the date of issue of those plicked stamps was my birthday, all those years ago. And that set was only £3.50. So I didn't think it was particularly meaningful for Jonathan, so I thought, well, I'll, that's, that's an early birthday present for myself. Uh, so we bought some of those, and we'll get to find out if we bought anything else. But that was a nice price, £3.50, can't go wrong with that. So that was quite exciting, so that was kind of brought on the magicalness of coincidence and luck. Um, a few other things, I think once you get into a certain mindset, you see things, and a lot of it is nostalgia, and more than nostalgia, because again, I think further on from that, further up the, um, the same road, I, I caught, something caught my attention in a sports antique shop. Didn't have a name the shop, actually. Didn't have a name outside it. But sports antiques is its thing. But what caught my attention inside, they had a snooker table. So I had a quick look inside, and it was an 8x4 snooker table, which in itself wasn't antique, I don't think. Well, it was 1980s. Well, I remember, you know, again, from my childhood, typically with Jonathan, playing huge amounts of snooker. Snooker was massive for a few years. Um, still got a snooker queue now. Don't play. I haven't played for however long. Can't remember how long since played since playing. But there was a time in our teens, probably mid-teens, where down to the Macclesfield Snooker Club, any chance you could get down there would be down there, and that was really special because you go in there and there are full-size tables. Um, but so what really really appealed to me as well, as you wept, walked up the steps. To go into the Macclesfield, the original Macclesfield Snooker Club, which I think then became the Liberal Club in Macclesfield. I'm not sure if the building's still there. Um, but you go up there into the doors, and the first bit, the kind of entrance bit, was a little bar area, so you could smell beer. <laughs> Maybe this is where my kind of craving for beer um, would come from. But as a 14 year old, 15 year old sitting there, you're not having a beer, you're a Coke. But the smell of beer and going into the pool hall, the snooker hall, where there's probably 10 or 15 tables, just arch, you know, aching out into the room. Um, that just felt as though you were in this area that was a little bit, um, what's the word, for the, um, for the initiated. Because it's not, you know, even though whilst you, were, you could be a, ju- a junior member, and we were indeed junior members of the snooker club, um, you felt as though you are in man's territory, grown-up's territory. And I say men, typically it was men. Um, because that's typically the draw, I guess, for snooker. 
So the snooker table was there in the, in the sports antique shop, um, but it wasn't particularly antique, it was from 1980s, and it was a Riley table. So I was remembering, we did have, I think our, ta- our snooker table that we had at our house was a six by three, because an eight by four, so a full size table is 12 foot by six foot. Very hard to get those into a house. Um, this one was an eight by four, but it was a very high quality one. So it was a slate bed, one single piece of slate bed, um, and they would also have added extra ornaments to it. So I asked that was about £4,800. Um, but just seeing it there, seeing it laid out there, just brought back this kind of visceral feeling of, goodness me, I remember being so into snooker. And it was in the 1980s when um, snooker was in its heyday, I want to say, with all the big names. Let's see if we can remember a few. Ray Reardon was probably one of my favourites. Looked like Dracula. Alex Higgins, of course, I think was Jonathan's favourite. Um, for some reason, Tony Knowles is coming to my head. I think that was one of your favourites, wasn't it, Jonathan? Uh, John? Johnny? Rubber, I used to call you. <laughs> oh, grown up. Um, who else was there? Dennis Taylor? Steve Davis, of course. Steve Interesting Davis. Uh, Jimmy White, Whirlwind White. Uh, Bill Werbenick, the walrus, who apparently used to drink huge amounts of alcohol. Uh, I think, so the story goes, on prescription of his doctor, because it would keep his, his, his queuing arm straight. So he had to drink lots of alcohol, I believe, lots of beer. Whether it's true or not, I don't know. Cliff Thorburn, who was a former world champion. I remember it was Cliff Thorburn that was playing in the World Snooker Champion, the Embassy World Snooker Championship, it was then called. Sponsored by Embassy, the uh, cigarettes. See, back in the day, back in the day, drinking alcohol was subs- was, was prescribed, and um, c- cigarette firms would sponsor um, major tournaments. So the Embassy World Snooker Championship. I think I want to say was it 1981 or 1982 when it was the, um, the storming of the Iranian Embassy in London. And they had, and they were watching the World Snooker Championship was on. It was Cliff Thorburn against whoever. Someone will tell me who he was playing against. Um, and it was uh, they then cut away from that to show us the live footage of them storming the Iranian embassy. So this is what I find interesting about when you just go with your stream of consciousness. I wouldn't have known even five minutes ago that I'd have been talking about the Iranian embassy, or even ten minutes ago that I'd been talking about snooker. So I'm drawing it back in again, drawing it back in, so I'm distracted, but snooker was a massive thing, so I went in there, asked for the snooker table, £4,800, I did say, very crisply, I'm not in a position to buy anything like this, I wonder if our house would, would have space for it now. Uh, one day, maybe, we'll have a house big enough for a full-size snooker table. Uh, the chap in the shop did suggest that, well, actually, a full-size one wouldn't cost much more than that one, for a kind of more, ba- you know, one that's not too elaborate and handcrafted or hand-carved, so, you know, only a, only a few grand. Um, so, um, and maybe things like snooker tables hold their value, maybe they can become vintage antiques. Anyway, that was a snooker table. Uh, we then ended up having um, a drink before setting off back. And yes, I had alcohol. Uh, it was, there were pints of cider dry cider, which I never really drink, and that's because it was honestly quite refreshing. I, I did ask to have it over ice, because I thought maybe you can have a sort of summer drink um, cider over ice, i.e. that's with ice to you and me. Um, but I got a bit of a funny funny look about that. 
that with draft cider you need with Magnus bottle cider. Yes, you can do that. So of course I just defaulted to conformism and say, okay, then what happened with ice? Even though I quite fancied it with ice, so I thought I should just had it with ice, but I didn't. Um, but it was very nice. It was very cold anyway. Uh, we sat outside. When I went back in again to charge my phone, there was a song playing in there, which was, um, Isn't She Lovely? Isn't She Lovely Indeed? That's a song about my wife. It's not being written about my wife. Let's call her Rachel. It was, it was Rachel's dad's song for her. So either it was a song that was on the radio when she was born, or it was a very popular song at that time, um, from 1977. So by Stevie Wonder. So that was playing in the in the pub, so that was quite nice, that's quite nice and coincidental. We often feel as though when we are places and you hear music that's very personal, personally meaningful, you think, oh that's a nice little sign, we're in the right place. Um, so then we basically eventually realised we had to get back, so all the way back stopped off at Rachel's dad's house, who we'll call Keith, because that's his name, I think I mentioned before. That was basically on the way back, so we were in Gloucestershire. We're going back via Oxfordshire, near Oxford, so picking up um, well, several things from his garage, including a table, which will become a, a desk for us. It's retrieving a desk that we've not had with us for now, oh God, over eight years then. We had it in Tame, originally had it in Nutsford, um, and now we retrieve, so we'll have a little bit of a home office. So this is all coming back to saying that um, this week, I are be mostly working from home. Um, so therefore it will be, um, I wonder therefore who there got the Fast Show reference. I'm sure at least two or three of you did. Uh, I, two or three of you who are the listenership at this stage. Oh goodness, Matthew, stop being distracted. So that's, so we'll have that all set up. So we'll be able to work more and more from home. It's more conducive to that. Um, and because the kids are on holiday, it's very hard to kind of do, and of course now the puppy, got to be, you know, can't be leaving him on his own for very long. But it's all good because the house is much more conducive to sit and work in and um, that'll be brilliant. So that's that. Oh, then the final thing from yesterday. We can't go too long without making some reference to Ziggy. So we managed to pick up um, the stuff, get back just in time. Got it back about ten past six in the evening. And that was just in time for a vet's appointment. So our very first vet's appointment for the Zigmeister. So he needs to have his second set of injections. So he'd had his first set. He was going to have his second set of injections, after which, after about a week from there, then he's then able to socialise and go out. We can take him out. Um, as it turns out, it was explained to us, um, yes, that was his second set, but because of, I want to say branding, or the, um, the, the companies that make these vaccines, the particular one that this vet's used, they use in this area, is different from the one that Ziggy would have had when he was Simba, over in Essex, because that's where he was born, so he's an Essex boy. He, uh, his then owner went to the vet's set and their vets gave a certain strain, a certain type, and the one that our vets use isn't quite the same, so they recommend that you do have two lots of the same, lots of conversation around it, decide the best thing is to do that, it ends up meaning he has to have a third set of injections. So his first set, you know, covers him for a certain level. This next set then effectively has, I think, as a kind of 
doubling up of that first set, and it'll need to have a third set. Are you following all this? So it'll need to have more injections. Of course, my man goes to, well, how much is it all going to cost? How much is it all going to cost? And uh, he, so we're going to be going to some kind of health, some kind of pet care plan, which means you are paying a direct debit monthly, which will work out more effective, more cost efficient. Um, so he was very good, he had that, didn't even flinch at all. He was giving a few little rusks as he was doing that. What was interesting there is it was quite clear that whilst he was being held on the table by the vet, um, he was starting to get a little bit, um, let's use the word, aroused, which I hadn't seen that in him before. And he's only, what, eight weeks? So I was wondering, is that unusual at this early stage? For, and he's apparently not. And I think, well, he's a dog after all. Um, but I guess one interesting thing there about him, this is where I'm reveal something very personal about Ziggy and about me, but I think I've already mentioned it on an earlier podcast where I mentioned my accident. I can't remember which episode that's in. Um, but I mentioned that accident that I, as a child, had an undescended testicle. Sorry not to kind of warn you about that one. Hopefully you're not kind of eating your cornflakes or, or even worse, eating a plum. Does anybody get the Bill Hicks reference? Ant, Bill Hicks. I'm eating a plum here, Mum. Uh, so he has an undescended testicle. So I had an undescended... I, I, as a child, had an undescended testicle. Ziggy, as a puppy, has an undescended testicle. Now, it may well mean, then, it, it, whatever to say, no, they'll need to check that out. Um, but also, there'll be a point relatively soon, around about six months, where we will have him seen to as it were, neutered. So, uh, does that mean taking the other one away? I don't really know what it precisely is involved with neutering, what gets chopped or snipped or whatever. Uh, we'll find that all out. So, that will also be, oh no, actually, that's not something that's included in your pet care. You get 10% off. Still didn't find out how much that one costs. Um, I don't want to be the person where we go to the vets, I'm constantly asking Sam, how much does that one cost? How much does that one cost? What's that, what's that gonna cost? But it was a lovely vet. It was in somebody's house. Well, there was a lovely big house that's been built. Well, obviously, because houses are being built. So a big house there. But in its ground, as it were, just in front of the house, was uh, the vet, the vet surgeon. It was a nice modern-looking little building. It was lovely. Lovely little space. So that was very nice. So that was all very positive. He came back, seemed okay. And he's settling very well at home. So he's not whimpering so much at night time. He's uh, okay. Still needs to be a bit more training. Got that going on. Lots of things to be picking up and mopping up around the house, but fortunately we've got a bit of the house downstairs where it's got this kind of tile, is it not tile? Tiled floor in the kitchen and a wooden floor in the hallway bit. So it works out okay. Right, so that was yesterday. That was all just yesterday. That was, that was Monday. So we're now coming into Tuesday. I was going to come in to go to the gym uh, and I brought my stuff, but I realised, <laughs> this is a money thing again, um, this is also on a monthly direct debit, but they haven't set up the direct debit system yet at the university. These things take time. So you go in and every time it runs out, you've got to, you've got to just go into the reception desk and pay by card each time. But the nice thing about that is, well, I think mine ran out, because I do it on a monthly basis, on the 27th, which will have been Saturday. So it's now the 30th of July. Um, so if I'd go to the gym today, I'd have to pay or rejoin, re- renew it. But given that I'm not going to be around for chunks of August, or I'm not going to be going in, you know, I won't necessarily be able to go in at the very least one day a week. Or maybe I would be able to. Anyway, I'm deciding to not do the gym today. I've got the stuff. I might find, find a look some other way of doing exercise. Um, 
but I'm in early enough to hopefully get some work done. Got lots of reading dissertations to do that I've been putting off and not get a chance to do. And now, sugary shit, sorry about that language, I've just realised... <sighs> sorry for that language, folks. Oh, annoyed at myself. Um, I've got the computer, I've got the laptop with me. But what I didn't go look for and find at home is the power cable. So unless the, the laptop's got a full charge, I won't be able to use it. Um, and it's quite possible I have no charge, which means I need to charge up. I might be able to go and ask at the IT folks if I can borrow a power cable. The problem with that is, <laughs> I've done that in the past, and they've been very helpful, and they lent me a power cable, but, folks, between you and I, I never gave it back. So, in theory, I should have two power cables, but one of them, my original one, I've lost. Don't know what happened to that one. So I've now got the one that I borrowed from um, IT, IT services. So I've already got one of those. So I don't know if I went over there, what would happen. So I may need to go and ask. I maybe need to be up front and say, I've already got one borrowed, and how that will work, I don't know. So, if I can't find a power cable, that means I can't get a lot of the reading done, needs to get done, so I'm no better off. Oh, that's gone well. Right, need to flip the mindset and think how I can make that work. Uh, we'll see how it works out as I pull in into this car park. So I'll probably keep going until I actually park the car, because otherwise I'll try and stop, and whilst driving, turn this off. and never works that way. So let me get the barrier to go up. As I, as I stop there outside, the Sports and Wellbeing Clinic entrance. So I will say more about that in a future episode. It links to the Centre for Human Performance, Exercise and Wellbeing. So if you go back to an earlier episode, there is one called Human Performance, Exercise and Wellbeing. That clinic is relates to that centre and it's something we'll talk more about as I'm going to drive right around the corner and park near this other door, which is near the door I'm going to go in. Uh, as we see now, what today will bring, because two main reasons I'm going to be in here is to do with PhD students. So this morning is an annual progress review for one PhD student, so that's a more formal review meeting, which, as the name suggests, takes place annually when you monitor their progress or review it. And then another one is a meeting with another PhD student, uh, and again, they have different supervisors, so I'm one of more than one supervisor, uh, just a supervision session. So they're the two reasons being in. But I was going to take some time to read through dissertation work. How is that going to work? We get to find out. So, another rambling episode. Um, but I found it helpful to upload. Upload? Let's just say offload, download. Whatever, stiff out of my head. For, for your listening pleasures. Okay. Oh my goodness. As I've just now seen then that my overdraft... So I looked down the phone. My overdraft... Ah, uh, bum. So I've gone over my overdraft limit because of the interest. My overdraft, oh dear. My overdraft, what's it called? Charge, interest, charge, which comes towards the end of, yeah, because I get paid, oh, one minute, do I get paid? Get paid tomorrow, don't I? When's the last day of July? Tomorrow, 30 days, that's it. Yeah, so I get paid tomorrow. I've got to transfer a little bit of money in today because it's now gone over my limit and I'll get extra charges and so on. Okay. Oh, on that bombshell. Thanks for listening, folks. See you on the next episode. Bye-bye.